right, everybody, talk about it outdoors live in the Wilson studio. I am your host, Alex DeBoard. Nick Wilson, Cody Watson in studio with me tonight. We got a great episode set for you on some amazing new gear products that are coming out into the industry. I think y'all going to like this one. Hang with us, pull up a chair, set a while. Nicholas Wilson, how in the world are you, my friend? I'm doing absolutely fabulous. How about you? Well, I'm doing even better after that amazing bow shoot we had this past weekend. The first annual Talk About It Outdoors bow shoot, and what a time it was. It was an awesome time. The rain held off just long enough. Well, it kept us cool. It kind of kind of knocked the bugs you. down a little bit. Well, <laughs> it, it keep the bugs down. <laughs> no, it didn't keep the yellow jackets down no, either. That's got one popped twice. One thing about this Georgia summertime, when you get uh, rolling in it and you kick up a yellow jacket's nest, everybody's getting stung this close proximity. I got popped yesterday. Nick said he looked like a roofer after a long day of work. Dude, that was <laughs> so, a Yeah, and Fowler said Charles Wiggins looked like he got stung a half a dozen times <laughs> in the face. <laughs> Dude, that was, I was burning up after putting – I should have done those targets on Saturday. Well, we didn't have them all, so that's okay. We we'll got know it next done. Time. We'll know next time. We're going to have more to set up, but amazing episode dropped last, uh, last this yesterday. week. Yeah. It dropped, uh, yesterday because today's Tuesday. So 50th episode for us. That was a great achievement. We, we were excited to get done. And, and like you said, the bow shoot went amazing. I thank everyone for coming. I think it was a, I think it was probably one of the best bow shoots that we've had. You know, we used to do them back years ago and, and spend some time at the house and shooting in chicken houses. And, you know, we never really set up through the woods, a course like we did. And shoot, man, people's getting their bows out now and doing different stuff. And, oh yeah. Yeah. And I think everybody really enjoyed the final shoot and hats off to our, to our new buddy, uh, Andrew for winning the, the guest range mm-hmm. shoot. Uh, Mark Tucker won first place in the, in the actual course, and he shot a 103, which was a great score. I think the next thing closest to him was a 94, and Eric Richards took that. And then, of course, third place went to who? Third place? Eric, Eric had a 97, and then uh, myself and – No, you didn't Nate. get in the – who won the – Me th- and Nate tied at 94. So, we gave Nate the prize. That's right. Well, that's good. You, you, He's icing everybody. Yeah, then he, then he come in there and snuck one in there after – let money. everybody shoot yeah. and get all hey, the money y'all up. get wore out. <laughs> no more I'll shoot. slide one in there. Oh, man, that's good stuff. Well, without further ado, I'm going introduce, to introduce tonight's guest. He's a guy that I actually met on one of the saddle hunting forums. I saw a product that he had posted that really caught my eye as something I felt would be a useful tool to come into this year. And, hey, you boys know I love a good gadget. Um, he's a creator of what's called the GOAT, and he created a bow hanger system called the Jawbone. It's a public land legal system, and he's going to tell us all about it tonight. So, without further ado, uh, Brian Keeft with BK Outdoors. How are you, sir? Absolutely wonderful. How are you, Alex? We are doing well, doing well, and I appreciate you taking your time out of your evening to come on. I know we've been talking about this for a few weeks, and once we got it set up and uh, and looked uh, looked at the dates, it was, I knew it was going to be a fun one with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting to uh, you know talking about the product and. You know, maybe a little hunting and, uh, you know, seeing uh, how you guys like it. And, yeah, you know, what else we can, uh, you know, chit-chat about. That's right. That's right. Well, first and foremost, for everybody that doesn't know you or hasn't had the opportunity and the pleasure of speaking with you, can you go into a little backstory about where you're from, you know, your family, whatever you want to talk about, and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Name's Brian Keith. I uh, was born and raised in West Michigan, a little town Muskegon, actually, uh, uh, there's a couple big names in the hunting industry that came from our area. Steve Rennell is one of them. Uh, Scentlock was born in, in Muskegon, Michigan. Uh, 
I started hunting when I was 12, been doing it. This will be my 34th year bull hunting uh, whitetails here in Michigan. Um, another backstory, uh, I got a degree in mechanical design. I uh, started doing CAD when I was about 10th grade. I think probably 90, early 90s, late late 80s or so. I've been doing CAD for really close to 30 years. Um, so that's pretty much my day job. And BK Outdoors is kind of my side uh, side gig that I've been doing for the past five or six years. And started out uh, with stabilizing straps for climbing tree stands. That was our very first product. And pretty much did that for about two or three years. And uh, so, yeah, that's where we stand today with a couple new product releases and and looking for the future. Now, how has Michigan deer hunting uh, changed over the years for you? Has it gotten better, gotten worse, you know, from when you – well, let me skip – let me, I guess, revert back a little bit. So, take me back to when you first got into hunting and who got you into it and what those first first years of, of hunting were like for you. Oh, sure. Yeah, you know, my dad introduced me to hunting uh, when I was 12, and all of our hunting was uh, pretty much on federal and state land. So, I, you know, I, fortunately for me, I was I was able to cut my teeth on state land and – you know, really hunt pressured whitetails. And, you know, I, I don't think I really shot my first deer with a bow until I was probably 16 or 17 years old. I shot my first absolute deer with a rifle when I was 14. In Michigan, you could start at 12 and then you could rifle hunt at 14. And I shot my first buck at 14, but I didn't first shoot my first bow until I was probably 16 or 17. But, of course, back then, uh, Michigan was heavily baited state. And in the... In, in all the federal and state lands, you know, I mean, you used to see guys driving with truckloads of bait and, you know, that kind of stuff. And of course, a couple, three years ago, Michigan has, has since outlawed that. But uh, back then, the tactics <laughs> were pretty much you try to, if you found somebody's bait pie, you try to cut deer off going to that, you know, I mean, that was one of the, one of the, the best tactics you could use on state land, but. And that sounds like, far, a, that sounds like Georgia tactics now, except you can't yeah, bait on I, state land. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's kind of what you look for. I mean, you know, I mean, you look at a bait pile, it's like the, like the spoke of a wheel, you know, you got runs just coming in there from every which way and you just try to, to pick the best one. But, um, you know, hunting now, especially with trail cameras and stuff and, and doing this for 34 years, um, you know, trail cameras obviously have, have made scouting and, and finding and patterning bucks, you know, a lot easier, not re- really easier, but you know, a lot more enjoyable and, and give you a little bit more intel than, you know, back when I first started hunting as a kid, I mean, you really had to rely on woodsmanship and, you know, following rub lines and, you know, picking up bedding areas and things like that. So, you know, overall, from a standpoint, you know, hunting is, has been, uh, for me personally, anyways, in Michigan, um, a lot better, you know, the past probably 20 years or so, not to mention, um, uh, my wife and I now own 45 acres, which happens to be her uh, grandparents old farm uh, when they passed away we ended up we got the opportunity to purchase that so uh, I've been hunting on there for probably the past 20 years so I do have my own you know private piece of land that that's available to me to hunt but you know I still dabble in state land and you know nothing's more enjoyable than than uh, shooting a nice mature deer uh, on state land only because of the pressure factor that's right yeah we spend a lot of time hunting state land and, and love it so were you primarily a bow hunter when you first got started uh yeah primarily bow hunter and actually still to this day i'm primarily a bow hunter i mean i still go out during rifle season in michigan but 
you know, Michigan is, is such a, it's such a tough state to hunt rifle. There's so many, I mean, we have such a high, uh, hunter density that, you know, whitetails are just, you know, they're so heavily pressured, even on my piece, you know, my private piece that uh, we own, you know, all the surrounding properties are heavily hunted and yeah, it, it, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I don't really go out of state too much. I went to Indiana once. Um, and other than that, I mean, I've been caribou hunting in Canada when I was, when I was probably 24 years old, which was quite a while ago. But other than that, I mean, I, I primarily hunt all, all Michigan. So, I mean, I can't really speak for other parts of the parts of the nation, but yeah, I mean, they're a different animal. I can tell you this, I've never shot a deer in an open field. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, that's kind of, it, it's kind of interesting. You say heavily pressured areas around you during rifle season. How long is the mm-hmm. rifle season? Uh, rifle season lasts, well, now, you know, they've, they've changed it. Uh, they have like an early doe rifle on, on private in some areas. They have late season does. So, you know, you take into all that, you, basically the, the main rifle season starts November 15th and it runs for two weeks okay. uh, till December 1st. And then you have like late season doe rifle, but the main rifle season's two weeks here in Michigan. Would you think that it would be beneficial? And, and I'm just asking out of curiosity because I've heard others speak of this it, during that rifle season to stay out of that 45 acres that you have and let the deer kind of pile into there and go in later in the, after it stops. Uh, yeah, you know, that's the thing. My property, it's weird. Uh, for some reason, and I don't know if it's, you know, surrounding properties with uh, food plots or what have you, but rifle seasons have been, uh, on my property's horrible. I mean, I, I actually would rather hunt state land because of that, because they do, they, they move off. Um, okay. My prop, my is actually thick enough to where I, I do have good bedding and really good cover. And they actually use my property more for a rut area. And a lot of, a lot of that might be, cause I, I hunt different than a lot of people. I mean, I, I've kind of got some, some different tactics that I use. I, I run a lot of drag lines. I actually make, I try to make deer hunt me. I don't actually try to actually really pinpoint deer as much as I used to probably the past 15 or 20 years. I, I rely a lot on scents and running drag lines and I make mock bedding areas and things like that, that they really draws the box into my property. And then once the rut kind of tails off, that's usually when rut, when rifle season usually hits and then they're, they're usually out of, out of my area. Wow. That's interesting. And that's a, I guess that's, I've never heard nobody say that they let deer hunt them. Yeah. That's a new topic kind of yeah. that we've, we've not had on here before. And that's, that's kind of interesting. People probably do it. They just never put it that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you like to put down early season scrape dripper, don't yeah, you? Yeah. Yeah. I like to put a scrape dripper out and have those bucks kind of change their pattern yep. to, to come in at daylight or dawn and, and, uh, check out, uh, check out what's going on. Yeah. That's the thing. You know, I've, I've used scrape drippers for years and I've kind of gotten away from scrape drippers anymore. I mean, probably the, the number one, and I just happened to stumble on this. It must've been probably 25 years ago. And it, one of the, the tactics and techniques I use is what I'll do is, you know, a lot of times if you find a hot scrape, you know, a lot of guys will set up right on that scrape, but what I found was one year I was hunting and I found a really hot scrape and it was right on the edge of state land and I couldn't get a tree in there. And, but I did have a tree stand already set up and it was about a hundred yards. And I thought, man, this buck is, it's checking the scrape. I know, you know, there's gotta be a way I can draw that deer over to me. So what I started doing was I would run, I would run scent drags right from that scrape. And so anytime you find a hot scrape, what I would do is in the afternoon, I would run a scent line from that scrape to my stand 
And then I would hunt it the very next morning. And I've probably shot 12 or 15 bucks doing that. Um, and what that does is, you know, then you're not leaving your scent all around the area, setting up a tree stand right by that scrape and this and that, you, you know, you basically take them out of their comfort zone, which is their scrape. Anytime they come into their own destination area, they're always on alert, whether it's a food area, a scrape or whatever, you know, if you can drag them off and take them on a path that they're not familiar with following that scent line, you basically open up the door to bringing them right into your, right into, you know, where, where you can kill them. So yeah, that's one thing that I do. One of the tactics that I use, especially on my property, but uh, it, it's worked out pretty well for me over the years. Do you have a preferred brand of scent that you use? <laughs> you know, the funny thing with that, what I found when using deer scent, the more the merrier. I don't, I don't rely on one specific brand, but I also don't rely on using one brand. What I found is I'll go into a store and, you know, I have no affiliation with any scent company or anything, but it, most of the time, whatever's the cheapest I can find on sale or whatever, I'll pick up four or five different brands of deer scent. And I found that the more different scent profiles that you use, either in a scrape or dragging at the same time, brings in deer way more than if you use one brand. And I don't, what I found is that whenever I would use one brand, it's almost like the deer maybe start to associate that profile with something not natural. You know, it's kind of like human scent. If you're leaving your human scent, you know, they can pick up on that profile, but it's almost like a confusion thing that I found with them. If, if I use a multiple different types of scent or brands, um, it, it seems to draw their curiosity more than if I just use one. Yeah. And you hit that nail on the head with that curiosity piece. I think anything that we do when it comes to scents or calls, it's a curiosity. You're attracting their attention to think, I need to go check that out and see what's going on. Or with North it. Georgia will stink this year, won't it? <laughs> be a, people be, a, people be taking Brian's advice, pouring shit everywhere. <laughs> be, they won't be a bottle of Team 69 no. to be found hey, this hey, year. Walmart down there yep. just got sold out. <laughs> Yep. And it is absolutely a, that's something that we But people hear things like that though and they, they do try it. I'm not saying it's not gonna work for nobody. No, no, but I mean, people's gonna take right. that and try it. I guarantee you there'll be some old boy at the house with a milk jug <laughs> and his wife is going to catch that head spray in. bottle. Yeah, they'll have it in their Windex, old Windex bottle spraying at every tree that comes by. I, I guarantee you somebody well, hears this and tries that. Yeah, well, you know, I, honestly that's another thing that I do. You know, I, I actually I make mock bedding areas and one thing like box when they you know, when they check, you know, you think about it like a buck, he knows where all those does are. You know, he knows where every family group of doe is in his area. And when they start going into heat, he's constantly sent checking bedding areas. And, and another thing that I do like on my property is I make mock bedding areas. I don't want, I don't actually want to hunt the doe bedding areas because for one thing, there's way too many, there's too many instances or, or opportunities, I should say, for you to get busted by does if you get too close to them or what have you. And so, yeah, that's what I'll do. I'll find, you know, it, my philosophy is the tickets, the thicket, the thicker you can find an area anywhere on any property, you can set that up, create your own, basically what I call a mock bedding area and just litter that thing full of deer scent. And you keep going out there and applying that to that thicket. And eventually you'll get bucks coming in there, checking that out and they'll keep tabs on that. And what you'll, what you'll find is you'll find that those bucks will start creating their own scrapes off those perimeters. And once they start creating those scrapes on those perimeters of that thicket, then I just run drags from those, their scrapes into my location. And, um, so, yeah, and it works out. 
So you're just going in these bedding areas and you're pouring this stuff on the ground directly? Nope, I'm not, I'm not even going into their bedding areas. I actually create my own. What I do is I look for a thick area that gives me that gives me the opportunity to take a, a nice buck. And what I look for is I look for the you know the thickest area that I can find, and hopefully that there's a run or or a pinch point or something going through there. And then what I do is I set up a, a stand in the best tree that I can find that gives me the best access and gives me the best wind direction. And then I'll just start setting it. And what I'll do is I'll start sending it from, you know, September, August, or August, September, uh, all the way up to, you know, all the way through the rut. But I don't actually start using dough and heat in there until probably around the 20th or 25th of October. Up until then, all I use is, is deer scent that's basically like, uh, like deer dander or any kind of deer bedding kind of scent. I put that in there and all that does is it's putting those bucks on notice that, hey, there's does that are hanging out in here. He might not come in there and check it right now because it's not the rut, but he knows that that area is worth checking out when those does go in heat. So then he's going to start marking that, doing laying his own scrapes out around that perimeter. And then when I start seeing scrapes pop up, you know, then I'll, I'll start hitting it because I've run scrape drippers and I've, I've made mock scrapes and I've done all that stuff. And what I found is that especially mature bucks in my area to get them out during daylight, most of the mature bucks prefer their own scrapes. Anytime I've ever made a mock, most of the mature bucks don't even go into that scrape. It's almost like they kind of know something's up with it. So I always just kind of rely on them making their own scrapes. I try to find their own scrapes and drag them off of them or create those, you know, what I call mock bedding areas, let them make their own and then drag them off into there. That you is, got my wheels started. That, yeah, that is a definitely yeah. an interesting interesting take on it. I hadn't I've I've heard theories around that kind of related to it, but that's definitely is, an interesting topic. When does the rut hit up there in Michigan the second week of November, Brian? Uh no, the rut the rut really takes off. Uh they start scent checking scrapes and that probably around the twenty eighth of October. And then the foot you know, that that's 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 what I I consider for me. That's what I consider the rut for me. You know, a lot of people, you know, have different ideas of the rut. You know, as far as they consider the rut actual breeding and things like that. And then some people call it the pre-rut. And you know, there's so many different terms on the rut. But what I what I like to classify it is is when the bucks actually really start scent checking scrapes and really start getting active. Now a lot of guys, like I said, they call that the pre-rut. But um, yeah, here in Michigan. I'll start seeing them scent checking the 28th of October and then pretty much, you know, they're, they're breeding. I've had, I've had, I know mature does go into heat and I can tell that off cameras and stuff when I start seeing bucks hanging real close with them or whatever. I've had them go into heat October 31st, but most of them, it seems like they don't really go into heat till right around rifle season and then they start tailing off. So November 15th. That's definitely, definitely. Now, do you, do you prefer to, how many, uh, how many yards do you prefer to be from those bedding areas that you create? Let's say you've created a pretty good one. You drag off of it. Or yeah. You know. I, right in there. Yep. I, I set my stand. I actually put the, I put all the set and everything. I mean, just right down there. Imagine, imagine if you're going to do, if you're going to throw out a bait pile, but do it with scent and put it out 20, 20 yards and do, you know, like a whole perimeter right in the thick of things you want you want those deer to think that those does are bedding like right there right at you okay all right that's that's and, that, and, and i mean that's you know that's just how i hunt and and the only reason and and, and I, I bring this up because 
you know, the goal in a lot of my products are, are they're designed for being mobile, but not in the mobile sense that, uh, you know, we think of as like a mobile hunter, you know, like, you know, moving your stands around all the time, or oh, I got to, you know, I got to wake up, wake up in the morning and climb a tree in the morning and set my stand up and this and that. I, I design a lot of my products because, because I'm constantly walking around and I'm constantly laying scent lines and I'm constantly, you know, like I'll hunt a stand early season. That's like a typical transition, right? Between bedding and feeding, because I don't want to hunt those doe bedding areas until the rut. Like when I, when I'm setting up those doe bedding areas, I'm doing that for later in October and early November. I don't want to hunt those stands the first three weeks of bow season. I want to hunt other stands, but I want to walk over there and then make sure that those doe bedding areas that I'm, that I'm setting up those mock areas are getting scented all the time so that those deer always know that, Oh yeah, something's in there. And then while I'm hunting those other stands, you know, I'm, I'm leaving there and then I'm constantly walking in and scouting and keeping tabs. So for me, from a mobile standpoint, you know, I, I don't like to carry a backpack all the time cause I don't want to carry all that extra weight as I'm, as I'm walking all through the woods every day, you know? So that's where a lot of my products come into play from a mobile standpoint, not so much, you know, because I'm setting up tree stands every day, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right. Right. Do you, now do you, or have you transitioned into using a saddle over a tree stand? Uh, right now I, I'm going to say probably 20 to 25% I'm doing saddle Okay. because, because most of the hunting, excuse me, that I'm doing like on my property, I already have preset tree stands and, right. and things like that. But you know, if I find an area and, you know, like, let's say, oh, you know, around this corner, man, I picked up on a whole lot of deer sign or whatever, and it's, it's not quite the rut yet. So I don't really want to hunt those mock doe bedding areas that I've, that I've created. And I want to go move in on somewhere then, yeah, I'll bring my saddle set up because, you know, the saddle, the saddle's great. I mean, it's, it's lighter, it's more compact. It's a lot quicker to set up than a tree stand. Now, you know, I think you mentioned on our phone conversation that uh, I think you have a lone wolf custom gear, right? Like a 1.0 or something. Yep. So that, so that's a, you know, that's a really light stand. So, you know, it, it's probably no, you know, no big deal for you really to set up a tree stand all the time, but you know, with a saddle in a, in a small platform, yeah, I mean, it's, it's super quick, super easy to get in. Um, so yeah, 20, 25%. The only thing I found with the saddle is, you know, you tend to, you tend to kind of move around a little bit more and it's, it's not really like a uncomfortable reason. It's just, I think because you're hanging there, you know, you're, you, you kind of, I don't know, I think you just kind of get in the mood. You just kind of want to swing around, you know, sometimes you just kind of yeah. reposition yourself or whatever, but yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, most of my stuff is is still done on a tree stands with twenty five percent out of saddle. Well, and the saddle hunting craze has taken over the deer hunting world as as we know it. That's the twenty twenty one fad thing. I mean, and right. don't get me wrong, I'm I'm all for ingenuity or whatever. But if you look back twenty years ago, saddles were a thing. I mean, the tree mm-hmm. saddle was was invented here in Georgia. The original tree saddle was made in Jasper, Georgia, which is literally ten minutes from where we're sitting right now. And they yep. that ingenuity that went into it, it never caught on. Mostly because you still had the the older guys that hunted out of tree stands. They were in a bunch of hunting clubs. Public land was kind of a thing a guy walked into, sat on the ground, and hunted when he didn't have anywhere else to go. But Well, public land's taken over so much now. Well, it has. It, and that's what everybody's doing now. Everybody wants to be part of the hunting public. And But you look at Yeah, like, it, it, it is really crazy. You know, that the hunting public is really, 
uh, I mean, it re- it's a really great program. You know, honestly, I don't, I don't really watch that many shows. You know, when I was younger, I watched a lot. Of course, you know, my idols were uh, like Dan Fitzgerald. I don't know if you guys ever heard of him, Dan Fitzgerald, and uh, Larry, you know, Noel Feather. Yep, yeah, a lot of those old. I mean, that's what I grew up watching. I mean, to me, that was you know, they don't depict hunters that way, you know, like they used to nowadays. But the hunting public, you know, I mean, I yeah, I actually watch them and tune into those guys. I mean, it's it's a really good thing that they're doing on there, and and uh, you know, it's really sparked the interest in a lot of people. Yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with the loss of private land opportunities. Yeah, because right now, mm-hmm. I don't know about in Michigan, but in Georgia, we have a lot of hunting club leases, and you can't find one to get into. Um, no. Well, they're gone now. I mean, a lot of them leases, yeah. they're, they're sold. That they, there's, You know, we had a lease right up here for 20 years. Soul Creek was there for 35 years, and it's it's gone now because mm-hmm. some investors bought the property that they're, you know, in, putting money into and wanting to build homes on, especially in North Georgia. I mean, the, the amount of private land has dissipated over half in the last – I don't know, 15 years. I mean, it's dropped dramatically, and people just don't want to give permission to hunt on their property anymore, so public lands became a, a viable opportunity for people. Yeah. Do you, do you, I mean, do you guys have a lot of public land around your area? We yeah, do. We do, yeah. North Georgia's littered yeah. with it. I mean, there's there's hundreds of thousands of acres. Some of it's just owned by the state, and then some of it's uh, national forest. So some of it's better than others. Some of it you have to be drawn for. Like, you have to put, sure. it, you have to put in prior to um, – I believe it's July 31st, and you have to be you drawn for it to be able to hunt it. Um, same way with turkeys. Now, do you guys have like a uh, like a public land uh, access kind of thing on private land? Michigan kind of has that. Like farmers will get into a program, and they'll allow you know say ten hunters on their farm. Um, it's kind of a first cur- first come first serve kind of basis uh, thing, and I, I think they might get paid by the state or, or whatever to to get involved in the program, but. No, there's no Georgia has road access to just about every piece of public ground that I. Oh, they I don't. Know they of. don't lease the farmers. Don't lease their or the state don't lease their rights out to the farmers here. Okay. Yeah. You have to. You have, and you can access most of it just by getting a WMA stamp, or you have a lifetime license, and you can you know access that property at any time. And then of course we have Corps of Engineers property that you can hunt on here that. that you can get a permit for and right now with covid and everything you don't even have to have a permit they just open it up and let you go at it willy-nilly you can run it anywhere i don't know about i don't know about i want to ask you about the michigan but georgia we have certain regulations as far as what kind of deer you can kill like certain states has got to be 16 inches or wider some um the whole state is what you can your first deer can be any point and your second deer has to be four on one side yeah mm-hmm. and then we have yeah. and then we have 10 10 does yeah, so so Michigan is it's kind of different based on the counties. Um, like in the county that I'm hunting in, in Muskegon County, it's basically uh, your first deer can be whatever with a bow. It can be a, a buck of any size or a doe, and then your second buck has to be four or more on one side. Now, some counties actually have what they call antler point restrictions, where I think it's and these are some of the more northern counties that I don't I don't. Uh, really dive into but some of some of the counties you can't shoot anything um that doesn't have like three or more on one side uh we've got counties so, like that in georgia there's there's counties yeah that have so it, they kind of split it up you know i mean and i don't really know all the counties but yeah that's they, 
they kind of, they've been doing that the past couple of years and there's been a really, a real big push in Michigan to go statewide with antler point restrictions, you know, to get a uh, better quality of deer. And, you know, you kind of have opponents and proponents of, of that whole system, but yeah, it, where I'm hunting, it's, you, you're allowed to shoot two bucks. Now, of course, landowners, you can get, I think, you know, they change it every year, but I think last year, I think you could buy up to like 10, uh, antlerless deer permits if you own private land. So I think, you know, you could legitimately probably t- shoot 12 deer, which I'm not a real big fan of the doe permits. In fact, I think it's probably been 20 years since I shot a doe. I just, for me, I don't really have a whole, I don't have, I don't have the, uh, the population of does to really take advantage of that. So I like to keep my does around, you know, just to, just to keep the buck activity, uh, high on my property. And that's interesting because to hear what state to state, how the regulations fall and what people's, you know, I guess depiction of what's good and what's bad. And you just, you know, kind of hit a nail on the head there with saying the does, you like to keep them around because we generally don't shoot that many does here in Georgia unless it's a piece that we're not hunting, you know, primarily. If it's a piece that we're wanting to keep deer around and try to keep, you know, those does coming in. But with the public land now, you said you've only ever been to Indiana outside of Michigan? Uh, Yeah, Indiana outside of Michigan, yep. Yeah, one time about uh, four years ago. Uh, a couple buddies and I went, and that was on that was on public public access. Is there is there you know a reason behind that? I mean, is it time? Is it you know, or is it just? Uh, yeah, it's me. Ma- it's mainly time, and then you know, work schedule time. Um, and we've seen a lot of deer down there. I I was the only one that didn't harvest one. I wouldn't say we've seen a lot of really big deer, um, but they yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of deer down in Indiana, especially on uh, on public access. But it's mainly time and you know, taking vacation and, and this and that. And also, you know, with it, when I acquired the, uh, the property that we have now, my wife and I, um, I just started devoting more time there, you know, trying to do food plots and, you know, just trying to kind of, you know, cater to that, you know, it's one thing when you own property, you, be, you know, you end up in the, then you become a, you become like a land designer, right. Then you want to just like take your property and just change it all around. And yeah, I can create this and do this and I can, you know, cut this down and, yeah, before you know it, it, it you know, it, it's really a project. So, do you f- plant food plots on it? Yeah. Yep. What What is your preferred, you know, method for planting a food plot? Do you do spring plots? Do you do fall plots? Do you do just fall plots? Uh, no, I just do fall plots. Um, I don't, I don't do any summer or spring plots. I actually, <laughs> I actually want the deer to feed on other people's property, not mine during the summer and spring, only because. The, so what it does is it, it reduces the browse pressure on my property. Um, what I try to do is on in the fall, I'll plant brassicas and, uh, I've also planted some rye, winter rye, but mainly like a brassica plot in, in winter rye. I, I just focus on the, uh, on the fall stuff, but you know, the spring, the spring and summer, you know, I've heard a lot of different, you know, there's a lot of different, uh, you know, theories behind that, keeping the deer on and, you know, keeping healthy herd and doing the spring and summer stuff and this and that. But, um, I have a lot of browse on my property. And what I found is if I'm, if I'm, if I do any spring plots or draw those deer in, then, you know, I get increased browse pressure on there and I want that browse for those deer in the fall. So when it's hunting season and and it's killing time for me, I want all those deer to come onto my property. I don't want to be like, ah, yeah, there's nothing else to heat here. And, you know, we're going to go move off. So, that that's kind of how I approach 
uh, my property with the food. Yeah. Well, make sure you, you know, if you haven't already decided or you've got somebody that's locked in with you, uh, make sure you reach out to our buddy Jeff over at Buck Fever Seed Company out of Iowa if, you, uh, if you're interested in getting some of the best quality seeds that you can possibly get out there. Sure. Um, Absolutely. He uh, he was on a podcast with us and kind of went over the Southern and, and Iowa's planning, and it was kind of kind of wild to hear. Now, do you do any turkey hunting on your property? I do, yeah, yeah. Um, but like I said, I don't, I don't plan anything in the spring. So, you know, a lot of it, I do have some open fields with some, uh, some natural grasses and that, that, that the turkeys kind of come in. So well, how's, the, how's the turkey population up there, Brian? Uh, it's actually really good. I mean, <laughs> the past couple of years, it seems like it's, it's, uh, come down, but yeah, I mean, last fall, um, Cause I don't know how it is in Georgia, but in Michigan, we, you can hunt spring and fall. Just so, spring here. Just spring. Yeah. You can get a fall Turkey permit, uh, in Michigan. So I usually buy one and I, you know, typically I don't, you know, of course hunting them in the fall is way, it's way more difficult in the spring. You know, I mean, they don't respond to calls and you know, you're almost, you're almost just kind of relying on you picking out, finding out where they're roosting and hoping, you know, where they're feeding uh, in the morning and just trying to catch them off. But yeah, I mean the, the turkey populations, uh, it, it's, it's really big, you know, in the past 10 years, it's really exploded. I know when I was a kid hunting up North and, and then when I say up North, you know, it's like state land for us. Um, boy, I, I you know, I don't think I was probably till my mid twenties before I even seen a turkey up there, but, uh, you drive around anywhere around here anymore. And yeah, there's, there's turkeys everywhere. Oh, Nick's over here taking notes. He's become a, <laughs> uh, a countrywide turkey hunter. He found himself in uh, in South Dakota, and he went up to Maine turkey hunting this year. So he's over here taking notes on Michigan right now as oh, we yeah. speak. <laughs> Going to do the turkey slam? I don't know about that, but I, I've, I've enjoyed just this year just traveling around to different spots. It's, it was a it was a lot of fun. I struck out both times, but I had a lot of fun. Yeah, but that turkey hunting, I mean, that's – Boy, I mean, if you've never done it, you know, and that's the thing. I really didn't start turkey hunting until later on in life. I don't think I started really turkey hunting until uh, late 20s or so. And, you know, I always thought, man, you know, these turkeys, they can't they can't get the blood boiling like a whitetail. Can. There's just no way. But, boy, you get those things coming in mm-hmm. 20 yards and they're gobbling like crazy. It's, it, it gets the heart pumping, that's for sure. It's, they're fun to hunt. Well, I, I want to ask you some turkey hunting questions, but I want Alex to get into the root cause that we got you on this podcast. Oh, no, you go. I, I don't, I, yeah, we're, all, yeah, we, I we're mean, all over the place. Yeah, we're just chatting right now around the campfire. But uh, Well, that's I, the good part about it. Because it is. we haven't had someone on, you know, from, I mean, we could sit here all night and talk about the things that, that Brian's working on, but but I I want to hear and I oh, want I people too. to hear yeah, why absolutely. he why he comes up with the concepts that he does for his products. So mm-hmm. feel free. I mean, I'd love to for you to go into some turkey talk with him. For no, a I, bit. I just I was scrolling on the website. Have you come up with anything for like a turkey toad or anything like that that you started working on? Uh, no, no, I have not. Are you nope. gonna, are you going to go down that road or? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I might. <laughs> I might now. We'll, we'll see how many emails I get. But yeah, you, just a, tur- a turkey toe. Yeah, I know. I know what you're talking about. I've seen quite a few different, uh, a few different kinds on the market already. But well, I don't. I don't know this because I didn't buy a strap. Uh, what do they call it? The goat. I didn't buy one of the goats. Um, Alex mm-hmm. and Cody did. Have you? Have you? Are you making saddles now too, or just those? 
Uh, no, no, just the uh, just the goats uh, stabilizing straps for climbing tree stands, and also I've got another product out that's uh, I've got they're, they're called gear binders, and what they are is they're a multifunctional uh, lashing cord um, to to which you can you can do so many uh, different things. I mean, I wish I had a list uh, written down here, but if you go to the website. Um, I've got a video on there that pretty much goes in depth on what you can do with gear binders, but you can, you can lash your climbing sticks together. You can lash your climbing sticks to your platform with them. Um, I use them as, uh, a tether, not a tether locker, but a tether holdup for your saddle, which if you use a rope tether for your tree stand as a safety harness, um, it'll hold your tether up there too. Um, you can also use that gear binder to tie your lineman's belt together, which constricts your lineman's belt around the tree. If you're using a lineman's belt, when you climb up the tree, uh, your lineman's belt will have a tendency to sag down. So you're constantly flipping it up and it's dropping down, flipping up. You can take one of those gear binders and you can tie it to both sides of the lineman's belt and it constricts it around there, keeps it tight, prevents it from sagging down. Um, gear binders for saddle use, um, I use them to uh, lash up my ropes. So I hang my ropes like with saddles, they make what they call dump pouches that hang off the back of your saddle. And a lot of guys dump the ropes in dump pouches and then pull the ropes out. Um, these, the gear binders that I make, you can actually uh, loop them right around your rope. You can easily take them off the clip. They're easily accessible. Uh, you know, you can throw your lineman's belt around the tree. No problem. Um, there's a lot of things you can do with them. You can put them on backpacks. So if you got a jacket, you know, you got an extra jacket or whatever that you want to lash to your backpack, you can slide that uh, right through some molly or any kind of loops on your backpack and, and, and lash your jacket on. So I'm yeah, looking if on, you haven't seen, I'm yeah, if you on, haven't seen those, take them. Go ahead. Go ahead, Brian. Oh, no, I, I was done. I, I was going to say, I was looking online here. That, is that elastic or is it, is it like a hard? Yeah. Yep. It it's elastic. elastic. It's okay. one, it's one eight inch uh, shot cord. So it stretches about, uh, you know, a hundred percent of its original length. So, you know, the 16 inch version, that'll stretch up to 32, um, the eight inch, the most popular one in there is the eight inch. That's going to probably do the most for you. And what you can do is you can wrap them around your gear too. So you can create a tether system for your range finder. There, there's so many things you can do with them. And the, the nice thing about them is they're, they're, you can take a handful of them and just wad them up in your fist and just shove them in your pocket. Yeah. And you I could know, see, and I that, could see that, taking something like that, putting on the top of my quiver to hang it off my. my yep, yep, yep. You something. can do that too. Yep, hang. And then, like you know, in the video, what I do too is I take a small eight inch and I wrap my uh, my release around my bow, so you never leave you never leave your damn release in the in the case or at home. You know, I don't know if you have ever done that, but <laughs> you know, him, hell, I, I him. was one that had to walk back the truck <laughs> to get your release. <laughs> I left yeah. my release one time. I got plenty. If you guys need one, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Next. Uh, yep. <laughs> Cody could have used one of those. I and this is what I get for uh, wanting to be on the bottom uh, underneath him in two climbing stands. We climbed up in Illinois, and I was like, "What is he doing?" He was up there like a rat running <laughs> around the tree. And he looks down at me. We're twenty feet up the tree, and he says, "I forgot my release." So guess what? Low man on the totem pole had to do. Yeah, low, low man. <laughs> yep, low man got the got the go to. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty good. So. But that's, I mean, it's an interesting concept that you've came up with there. And I know Nick asked about, you know, you doing other things, but this GOAT system's kept you pretty busy, hasn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, the goat, uh, the goat's been keeping me real busy. Yeah, I mean, when I released it, I sold out the first day, so then i I had to I had to really scramble and uh, you know work a ton to get some more on there. And then I was getting, you know, all kinds of emails and this and that, and people were wanting to prepay for it and stuff. And the thing, like with the business, you know, I mean, there's a lot of companies that'll do this whole, you know, prepaying and, you know, order and we'll put it on back order for a couple months and this and that. And and I don't want to play that game with, with guys, you know, I mean, the thing is, if I want to have the stuff readily available and in stock, if not, it's going to be out of stock. You know, I don't, because, you know, God forbid something happened, you know, I mean, if something happened to me or anything else, you know, I don't, I wouldn't want anybody out of their money because they didn't get their orders, you know, so. Oh, yeah, that's that that first day I saw it, you know, and I messaged you about it and you were uh, almost immediately got a reply and, and we got to talking back and forth and I said, well, I'd like to order them. And you said, well, they're sold out on the website right now. Let me, let me get a couple made up and, and you had them here in no time. And I, I mean, yeah. I've been impressed yeah. with it so far and can't wait to get it, you know, into the, into the implications this year and put it to use. But so you, you've, you developed the goat with the concept of what, what was the idea behind it? Yeah. The idea behind the goat, and, you know, just to kind of give a backstory too on this. And we talked earlier before we started recording, you know, when I, with BK outdoors, my main, my main product was, stabilizing straps and I did that for three four years and actually last year um, I actually told my wife and, and you know it takes up a lot of time you know when you're doing these side businesses and things and I'm sure it's the same with you guys you know you guys you know I've listened to a few of your episodes you guys do a great job with the podcast and you know it, it's a lot of work and you know with BK Outdoors I, I told my wife I said you know I'm almost thinking about just letting it go you know, I, I, I get in a lot of orders, you know, things are going real good. And, but, you know, it's just, you know, it takes away from time with family. It takes away from this. And, you know, of course, when you're running an outdoor business, you know, your busiest time of the year is when you want to be out there and hunt. So, you know, it, I just really thought, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to kind of let it go. I'm just going to dissolve it. And then the pandemic hit and my company ended up laying off uh, half the employees and, you know, it was one of those things that, that really kind of hit home. And I thought, you know, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let this go. Uh, I've got a, I've got a lot of other ideas in my head. There's a lot of other things going on. There's, there's other products and, and things that I've always wanted to do. And I, I'm just going to go into this full speed. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to take this ball and I'm just going to run with it. And I'm just going to knock out all these things. And, you know, gear binders came out. Um, the goat came out and the goat actually happens to be about the third, I think it's the third iteration of it. I had, there were some different concepts of it that I was working with. And then the jawbone kind of followed the goat because I wanted to, I wanted to design a bow hook that complemented the goat, uh, really well with its functionality. So, you know, that, that's kind of the backstory on where we're at today and, and kind of where we're going and how, you know, when things like that, like a pandemic hit you in life, you know, you can either, you know, wallow in it or you can kind of look at it like, Hey, you know, here's an opportunity. I'm going to, I'm going to take this situation and, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to build up a, a back base um, for something for myself to fall back on in case something like this ever happens again to, you know, support myself, support my wife, support my, my son support my family the whole nine yards and and 
uh, you know, make something good out of it. So that's kind of where we come into 2021 with the new products. I started picking up saddle hunting about two years ago. And one of the things, you know, like we talked about being mobile and, you know, walking around a lot and this and that, not wanting to carry, um, all my products have all started out probably 20 years ago. I used to hang, you know, all my equipment off my jackets. I would sew little loops on, I would, I would clip little things to my belt and things like this because I, I, for the life of me, I just, I hated backpacks. I kind of view backpacks as like the empty kitchen counter in your house, right? You buy a 1200 cubic inch backpack and you know, you're looking at every pocket like, Oh man, I could put a, I could put some hot hands in that pocket and I could put a, a zip, a, a buck zipper in this pocket and I could get a field tool and put it in this pocket. And before you know it, you got 20 pounds in there and, you, and most of the time you never even use half the stuff in it. Ryan, you've been watching me pack my backpack. That sounds just like Alex's backpack. Yeah. I've got well, more it, gadgets and doodads and stuff that I've bought over the years. And I'll say, well, and it, and I'll tell you, I'm going to plug one item that I bought that I've kept with me all these years and I've used it one time and it's a grabber. It's a little rope yeah. you drop down. You've never even seen this thing. I don't think I've ever brought it out. You drop it down, and when you pull up on the rope, it grabs something. And it, I dropped my jacket one time. One time, I dropped my jacket, and I had that grabber, and I've kept it ever since. It probably weighs seven pounds, like a log, yeah. like a canter hook for a log jam or something. Yep. <laughs> oh. And that, that, and that's just it. That's what you'll find with with all you know because you know you look at that some of those backpacks and even like the uh, like the bino harnesses. You know, I bought a bino harness. Oh man, this must have been close to ten years ago. And it, it's one of those things you look at it, you're like, oh man, that is one really cool piece of gear. And uh, you know, after using it, I just thought, man, this thing is in the way. I just, you know, I don't. I, I just, I couldn't. I, I just couldn't wrap my head around it anymore. And since then, I've just, I've, I've kind of strayed away from bino harnesses. The backpacks, the same thing. You know, I, I go in the woods. I always bring my sense, which I usually put that in right in my jacket because I can whatever sense I'm using for that day, I put them in a Ziploc bag and then I usually have like a, like a fleece face mask or something to kind of quiet the bag down. I put that in my jacket pocket. That way I can seal it up. And then everything else, I mean, I'm just talking rangefinder, grunt call. Um, the stuff that I hunt is, is so thick that I rarely have a need for binoculars. I mean, I rarely hunt anything open enough to where um, I'll need a set of binoculars, but uh, yeah, grunt calls, rangefinder, um, and then of course, you know, my bow quiver and, and that's it. And unless I'm, you know, unless I got to do an all day kind of thing, which I rarely do all day sits anymore. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's all I want to bring out in the woods. And so like with the gear hanger, you know, being mobile, you know, I'm, you know, I'm looking for a way like, okay, if I got this gear hanger and this is how I approach almost every product you know, that comes to my mind, it, if I got a gear hanger, I always want that product to at least do one other thing. Um, I wanted to at least do two things, if not three things. And the reason for that is I've always been pretty frugal with my money and, you know, buying certain things. And, you know, I'm sure you guys, you've seen them, you know, you'll, you'll get a product that only does one thing and you might look at it and go, well, man, if you just added this to that, it could do this. Or, you know, if I just tweaked this a little bit, then I could use it for this also or whatever, you know? So whenever you're being mobile, you want, products that are going to be multifunctional. You want them to be able to, to serve two or three purposes. So that way you're not packing so much stuff out in the woods. So 
that's kind of where the goat came into play. I knew that when I was going to go hunt public land, I needed a public land gear hanger at the same time. Okay. What do I do with this gear hanger? I don't have a backpack. I don't have uh, dump pouches. So what am I going to do with this thing? I'm not just going to shove it in my pocket because that's where I put my, you know, that's where I put my scents or, you know, if I got extra gloves or whatever. So, you know, how can I, how can I use this? And of course with saddle hunting, when you're hanging things off your saddle, your saddle is going to usually sags on you when you're walking out in the woods. So yeah, that's just kind of where the idea came from. So originally it came, it, it was just like one strap, a really long strap and I looped it down to the back and I hooked it on the back and I thought, wow, man, that, but that strap, it just makes it for a super long strap. And so then I came up with the idea of the back strap portion, which basically creates a three point harness out of your gear hanger for your saddle or, or for your pants. Like I said, if you're going to be, a, if you're a tree stand hunter, um, the goat is for everybody. It's for tree stand hunters. It's for saddle hunters. It, it's more so geared towards saddle hunters, obviously for the, for the suspension aspects, but yeah, you can wear the the saddle tabs right on right on the belt or your pants, and and uh, everybody can benefit from it. I just was sitting here right now, and I've been trying to grab grab in my mind how in the world you would use that as a suspension system, and it just hit me. I just looked at Cody, and I was like, "That's it. I understand now how you use that." So that's <laughs> great, and because you know, looking at it from that aspect, I'm gonna have you know my concept of it is to put it in my pocket as i said of my backpack when i get to the top of the tree on my top step i'm going to wrap it around the tree hook it then i'm going to have my rope tied to my stand i'm going to pull my stand up hook it on i've already got my bow on my backpack so i can go ahead and hang everything up and have everything hanging there and then once i get in the stand set up i can go up that tree one time with that system and hook it around I've got all my hooks there. I can use the jawbone to actually hang my backpack on while I'm hanging right. my stand. Hang my stand, yep. get in it, climb up, hooked in. Then I can take my backpack off, hook it into the tether that's hanging down. I mean, there's there's a lot of different concepts there. And yeah. Cody and I, the first night we got them, we were actually out here shooting a little video for it. And we're going to work on a video for the goat because we you know we like it and we want to see see it get Good. you know some stuff. We're yeah, going to we work on a video. Yeah, for and it. hey, I I would I would. I would really appreciate that because, you know, I've been so busy trying to get these things out the door that, you know, if you look at some of my other products, I, I try to give an in-depth, uh, you know, video. I try to create my own in-depth video of the products, but, you know, the only video that I've got on there is a real quick one when I did a pre-release and, you know, it's really difficult to kind of show that stuff. So, you know, I'm really hoping to kind of get a lot of the concepts um, for it out, but you're absolutely right. The, the beauty of the GOAT especially, and not only for you guys, you know, when you climb up the tree, you know, you think about it, you you get up there top step, you're wearing that thing. It easily disconnects. And in the way it's designed too, with those tabs, it's silent. You know, you have no metal on metal. You're not snapping buckles together. You pop those things out and you're easily just throwing that thing right around the tree right then and there. It's the same thing when you saddle hunt. When you saddle hunt, the big thing with suspenders, and this is one of the big things for saddle hunting guys, there's a ton of aftermarket suspenders on the market, but most of the guys that wear suspenders continue to wear the suspenders when they're up in the saddle. The problem with that is suspenders kind of get in your way when you're shooting your bow. You know, if you're turning and you're, you're, you know, angling backwards in the saddle or whatever, you have those shoulder straps and all that stuff's in the way. 
Well, once you get up in the saddle and your weight is hanging in that on your tether and everything else, you don't need those suspenders anymore. Right. They become obsolete. So, you know, that's the thing. What do you do with them? Well, there you go. You disconnect it and it becomes your gear hanger. That, that's the whole beauty of the system. You don't need them as, a, as suspenders once you tether into the tree. That's an awesome concept. I mean, and I love your thought process behind using multiple, an item for multiple uses. Yeah. Yep, it's the same thing with the jawbone. When I designed the jawbone, I designed it specifically for the goat. But then I thought, you know what? You know, I like I said, I want I want products to be useful for everybody. When you look at like the Saddle Hunter page or you look at most of these mobile guys, you know, a lot of guys change the way they do things, right? So, you know, one day, you know, you might like the goat, and then the next day you might be like, "Oh, yeah, I don't really need the goat anymore." I but you know, I got a bunch of paracord. I want to really lighten my setup even more. I got a bunch of paracord, but I don't have a bow hook for it. Well, yeah, you do. You got the, the jawbone. You know, originally I was just going to make it just for the goat specifically, and I thought, nope. My my whole motto when it comes to products is is making them useful, making them multifunctional. So if you're not going to use the goat, you can still use the jawbone with four or five different other gear hangers that you have. And, you know, apply it to that. So, you know, you're, you're not, you're not losing uh, the ability of the jawbone because you don't want to use the goat, you know? So, and then like the stabilizing straps, um, you know, I, I didn't invent the stabilizing straps, you know, the stabilizing straps that I, that I started the business with, um, a lot of manufacturers back in the day used to include stabilizing straps with their climbers, Mm -hmm. but a lot of them were all made in China. And if they were plastic buckles, a lot of them were breaking. Um, there were some on the market that were metal that had real sharp teeth. They were super noisy when you, when you would uh, adjust them and lock them down. And so I just looked for a, a better way. And what I did with our stabilizing straps was I hunted down the, the strongest plastic buckle manufacturer in the U S and I, I mean, the, the buckles that I use on there, they're plastic snap buckles and they're rated for close to 300 pounds. I mean, I've literally hung off one of my straps with a plastic buckle and I'm a 215 pound guy and it just, it hung there. And that's just off one of the straps. And it, it's really unheard of when you, when you look at a lot of the plastic components and stuff coming from there. So incorporated that into the stabilizing straps. And then on the tag end, I put a D ring on there, there again. Uh, going back to the multifunctionality mm-hmm. of the products, when you once you stabilize that climber, now you've got a D ring on the end of your on the end of your stabilizing strap that you can wrap around your climber and hang your backpack or hang other gear off of. It makes it double use. So every product that uh, that that we put out and, and come up with um, has a lot has has a lot of functionality to it. At least we try to put that into them. Yeah, and you can tell that that thought process has been into it without it being just a simple hook on with the jawbone hooking on that strap. It's got different concepts to it. There's different ways of using it that's viable for anybody. They You don't have to use the goat, but it's made for it if you want to. You don't have to use a piece of paracord, but it's made for it if you want to. Yep. So it's neat to see those different, you know, different ideas that you've got with it. I love it, man. I, I Like I said, the first day that I saw it come on – the page, I immediately turned around and I called Cody and, and told him about it because he's 
gadget eccentric as I am. We love little gadgets and stuff like that. And as soon as I told him about it, it was like, hey, I want to try these. Check them out. Let's look at them. And then, you know, a day or two later, I got in touch with you, and I wanted to do an episode with you because I honestly feel like it is an item that people will grab a hold to and gravitate towards once they see the functionality of it. And the video you put together is great in explaining it. I want to get you. I want to shoot a dynamic, you know, just in your face, the goat, you know, show that video, <laughs> show people what it is. And that's, yeah. and I've been yeah, going we, back and forth in our head about we it. We shot a video the other day. It was about 15 or 20 minutes long. And, and then we just trashed it. We're like, we're going to do one better. Yeah, we can do better than that. We can definitely make one better than, than this for you. And it's something because yep. we want to see. Well, what, whatever, you, whatever you do when you start it off, because, you know, you guys got all that fancy music at the beginning of your, of your podcast, you know, you, you, what I what I imagine is you guys like releasing a bunch of goats out into a field, you know, and then maybe <laughs> then maybe you got and Cody, maybe yeah, you Cody right. Yeah, there's there's a goat field right up here. We go right up here at Stanley and Dave's, and we're hey, you just you just hit the okay. nail on the head. So there's yeah. an idea. There's it's gonna happen. So you just, just yep. be ready for it. So hey, Brian, I got a question real quick about that jawbone. Um, I'm not a saddle hunter by no means, but has anybody bought the um, Daisy? What do you call them? The Daisy. Daisy chains. Daisy has anybody bought the daisy chains and added maybe four of those around like the foot for the foot piece on the saddle? You know what I'm talking about, so they can walk around the tree. Well, it says when you buy them, not a not oh, not, not a step. Oh, no, no, it's not, it's a, not step. a step. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, no. Unfor- unfortunately, you know, <laughs> twenty two because uh, it, they are aluminum. They're sixty sixty one, and and I did actually test them as a step. Um, they do not work well as a step. As a step. <laughs> so you. no, they're, they're, they're 100% just for, uh, just as a bow hook, but, um, interesting yeah. concept though. I understand what you're yeah, asking, yeah. Nick. And, and because yeah. we got a guy that saddle hunts with us and he takes a couple screwing steps and puts around the tree and that's how he walks around. They make, yep. and they make strap steps like that it has like four on it and you can mm-hmm. spread them apart. Yeah. Hawk makes yep. one that you yep. can go yep. around the tree and yep. I'm sure. You could, yeah, there's a couple, you could beef that up, there's, uh, Brian, and it'd be a good idea. BK Outdoor's about to have one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll be uh, I'll be thinking about that one, too. Yeah, there's actually a couple. There's probably three or four companies that make, uh, like, a ring of steps. That uh, That's what they call them, a ring of steps. They they usually come in, like, a four-pack or a five-pack or whatever and, and uh, yeah, I'll, go around the tree. So I'll be honest with you. I actually like the way that jawbone looks, even if it had, like, a screw-in part on the back of it because it's it's got a good flat surface. It's not that round rough on your yeah. hands to screw in a tree. Yeah. So. You know, the thing, the, the nice thing about the jawbone too, and what you'll see in, you know, most hooks, most hooks on the market, you know, you have a wide base just for stability. I didn't want that in the jawbone. I wanted it to, you know, like when you use it with the goat and, you know, if, if you look at any of the pictures on there, what I do is I leave it flat when I tighten the strap and by leaving it flat, you know, and I'm talking on the, uh, on the long width of the, on the part of the, the hook, when you leave it flat and tighten it, then when you pull it back out for you to, to get ready to hang your bow, you're basically camming it into the tree. And then when you pull it down, it kind of locks it into place and it, it stabilizes the hook. The reason, the reason why we're thin on the hook is, is mainly for the mobility of it. Because when the jawbone is, is in the goat and you're wearing it as, is saddle suspenders, the goat comes with, and you guys might have seen it on the one end there with the loops. There's a there's a elastic keeper on the side with the molly. Well, that elastic keeper holds down the jawbone so that you can wear it and it's not flopping around. It's not in your in your way. So that way, when you take the goat off, you can just wrap it around the tree, 
and you don't have to worry about your, you know, your bow hook banging or, or flopping around or anything like that. When you uh, go tighten the strap, then you remove the elastic around the end of the jawbone, cam it over, pull down, and uh, the bungee cord on the back will lock into the into the notch into the back, and and you're ready to go. I love it, man. I think it's I think it's an awesome concept, and I think it's something that people are going to get a lot of use out of once they get the idea and they get the concept out there. And you know as well as I do because you're on those pages just like Cody is and Nick. Those saddle hunters, man, they have got more gadgets, trinkets, little doodads and stuff in, yeah. than anybody in the world. And Different breed. Simplicity. Yep. Well, like I told you on the phone that first day I talked to you, Brian, if you want to see one of the biggest pissing contests that's ever been, just go to us out on page. <laughs> yeah, it is, too. I, and a lot of those guys, they're more concerned with, with uh, climbing methods than they are even hunting, you know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, those one some of that and, stuff is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of that stuff's great. You know, if you, you know, you really develop a system and, you know, that's kind of your go-to or whatever, but, you know, just, just the thought of having to bring 40 or 50 foot of rope out there with me and, and rappel down and, and all that stuff, you know, it sounds great and sounds fun in theory, but you know, I've been using sticks for so long. I, <laughs> I don't right. have a problem get I don't have a problem getting up into a tree with a set of sticks and, and, uh, you know, it's all whatever somebody comfort level is, you know, so. Well, and I think really, it's, I think it's all about what, like you said, somebody's comfort system, what they develop their yep. ass. But man, a lot of those setups and systems they've got, it would take, it would take me longer to figure out how to do all those knots and stuff. And I'm in the dark. I mean, you know, hanging yeah. a set, ninety yeah. percent of the time, you know, we're going, we'll hang a preset, but we try to move or something. Hey, I'm going to move this a hundred yards. I'm doing it in pitch black dark at four thirty in the morning. I'll be dang if I'm right. up there trying to figure out what carabiner clips to what tie and everything else. I just ain't my – I ain't got enough sense to do yeah. it. I'll be the first to tell you that ain't going to happen. <laughs> Alex ain't much but, for heights anyways, so. No. <laughs> yeah, that's just like, uh, you know, when we used to – and we still do, uh, my buddies and I, you know, you go out with climbers and, you know, it, it's pitch black out and you don't even know where the hell to go. You know, you're shining your light up and look – and you got to, oh, there's a tree that looks like it's, you know, climbable and you're, you're hoping that you're – you know, near a run or whatever and going out there blind. But, uh, anymore, you know, like if I'm going to do a mobile set and, you know, I, I don't know if it's so much, you know, me getting older or maybe me just getting wiser or maybe me just getting lazier, but I actually just to prefer if I'm going to go hunt a new area, I'll go and I'll do my set in the afternoon the day before, you know, I'll go out and I'll, I'll set my stand in the afternoon and maybe hunt it that night. And then I'll just leave it up. Even if it's on public, you know, most of the time, if you do it that way, you don't have to worry about somebody, you know, unless somebody's really watching you go in or seeing you or whatever, worrying about ripping your stuff off. But, you know, most of the time I'll just go in afternoon, do the set. That way I can come back, hunt it in the morning. So I'm not fumbling around in the dark and, and, uh, you know, it, Cause you know, you, it, it's, it's dangerous doing that stuff, especially pitch black and you're not familiar with the tree or anything else. So yeah, it absolutely is. And like I said, it's, it's neat to, to hear the concepts that you've put out there. And, um, it's, it's fun to hear somebody else's side and take on how they're doing things and how they're, you know, improving upon it and the ingenuity and stuff that you're putting together out there. And we love it. And that's what's I knew it was going to be a good show, and it, we've already been on here for an hour, and it's been a great show. And 
you know, we're kind of winding down here towards the end of it. And um, I'm going to spin over here to Nick and he's got a couple of questions. If you've listened to the episodes, you've heard the questions. So I'm going to let him take it over for a second and kind of, kind of punch it away. Sure. Well, you've hit us with a lot of good advice today, Brian. Um, but I'm going to ask you one more time. What's a good piece of advice you'd get somebody in the outdoors? Oh boy. A uh, good piece of advice, the outdoors, yeah. learn as much as you can, you know, don't be humble when it comes to learning everything that you can. And I'm going to go to whitetails. Uh, take the advice that everybody's given you. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of information out there. You know, we're in a, we're in a great time and day and age with uh, social media and everything else. But um, if you have a passion for anything in the outdoors, whether it's turkey hunting, whitetail hunting, any of that stuff, grab a book and just read as much as you can on stuff. You know, there's so much information out there. Um, take advantage of it and learn as much as you can. You know, like, like some of the stuff that I talked about, you know, the, the way I do things uh, and how I hunt deer and, and this and that. A lot of those things I kind of learned on my own, but we're also, if I didn't have a good base on what I read as a kid, um, like, you know, how to, how to d- decipher rub lines and, and, you know, what's a scrape and, you know, this and that, if I didn't have that kind of base, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the kind of ideas to pursue, you know, different ideas that I came up with, like, oh, you know, if I do that, you know, if I drag a scent line off that scrape, maybe I can pull them out of there. I, I think that's the biggest thing. Any, any advice for anybody in the outdoors, learn as much as you can be humble and, and just keep moving forward. Yes, sir. Great answer. Yep. yep. Great answer. Um, what are you most thankful for, Brian? Uh, I'm thankful for an amazing wife. I'm thankful for uh, a great, solid foundation family. Um, and yeah, pretty much, pretty much that. I'm thankful for family. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. We all should be. Common answer we get, and definitely something we should all be, you know, thankful for is, is family. So, Brian, I appreciate yeah. you coming on the show. Um, thanks for taking your time out this afternoon. I'm sure you're busy and probably got to get some orders shipped out the door. So. I just want to th- say thank you. Yeah, and, and I want to say thank you to you guys, too. I think what you guys are doing is really great. Like I said, I've listened to a couple episodes since I talked to Alex, and, uh, you know, I really like you guys' format. I mean, I think you guys are doing a great thing. Um, you know, I'm definitely no Don Higgins or, or Nick Munt. That's, <laughs> that's for sure. You guys <laughs> you guys got some big names on here. but uh, Neither are we. Yeah, neither are we. Oh, you're more yeah. common to us than you think, bro. <laughs> You know, but, uh, I, you know, I appreciate the opportunity and, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll be in touch and, and, uh, and hopefully have a good friendship in the future and, and, you know, maybe do more things together. What you got Cody? Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be in touch and we're, we're going to, we're going to shoot a video and if you like it, you can use it. If you, if you don't, you can trash it, but we're going to, we're going to definitely get up, get those goats out and play with them a little more and, uh, the jawbone system and all that. And I, sure. I know, I know we're going to be using them this, this November. Yeah, and it's something that, you know, like I told you when I first talked to you, Brian, I'm I'm a fan of ingenuity and I'm a fan of positivity. And when a guy calls me on the phone and we can sit there for 15 minutes and talk about nothing but deer hunting we've never met before and we can have a positive conversation before we ever go into talking about doing a show or doing, you know, any kind of uh, any kind of product review or looking at anything, that's the kind of people that I like to deal with. And, yeah, you know, your absolutely. humble approach to it and the way you like to design things to help people, 
I think that's the thing that's turning more in the hunting industry, and it's becoming more of a, a common theme that I love to see, and I'm glad it is. You know, we we try to stem positivity in any way we can, and you coming on and going from back to your youth all the way to where you are now, you've had a long, passionate road ahead of you, and, and I can't wait to see what the future holds for BK Outdoors, and I can't wait to, you know, do do more things with you and, and see what the future holds. And if you ever get ready to come on down here to Georgia for a visit, man, you got you got three buddies here in a, that you already made, so you got a house or a place to stay. Just load up and come on down and right. see what we can do. Well, well, good. You know, actually, when I when I told my wife I was doing this, she's like, oh, can we go down to Georgia then? I said, absolutely. Well, absolutely. I, hey, yeah. I got, I well, got a camper yeah, I maybe put we'll, you up in. You, you well, better, there you go. You, hey. better, you better wait on it to cool off. Yeah, you might want to wait, wait, till, wait till after the first of yeah. the year when it cools off a little bit and Michigan's freezing cold and you want to come down here to escape it a little bit. Yeah, it's it's too hot for me in, in 80-degree weather here. But, you know, touching it, just to touch back on what you said there, you know, as far as, you know, that's one of the reasons why I like being a part of like the saddle pages and things like where you seen is there's a lot of great small companies uh, out there that are, that are in touch with the hunters. You know, you look at a lot of companies that are out there, a lot of the most su- successful companies all started out, you know, just like we all did, you know, all DIY guys or, or whatever that, you know, they have a passion for the outdoors and all their products all spawn from the way they do things. And, you know, like, well, for a prime example, like the DeQuistos, you know, you look at, you know, they're, the way they mobile hunted and, uh, it, you know, how their products have basically, I mean, you, you can't look at a tree stand nowadays without actually seeing a lone wolf in it. You know, I don't care what anybody else says. That guy pretty much changed the tree stand industry for even what it is, even saddle platforms. You, I mean, he, his DNA is in everything. And, uh, you know, all that stuff, when you look at those, those groups, man, there are some really great ideas, products, down home stuff. Guys really know, you know, Hey, and that is really smart, you know? And, and that's why I love being a part of those, those groups and, and seeing those small businesses and, and getting those kinds of products. You know, nothing irks me more when I, when I go into a hunting store and I find a hunting jacket that's got Velcro on it. I know right there that that guy does not bull hunt. I will never buy a jacket with Velcro on it. So, just keep that into your into your wheelhouse next time you go look at a jacket. Oh. Pro tip. <laughs> Pro tip. Velcro. Velcro sounds like I heard the Indians running through the woods when you opened it yep. up. Oh, that's great, Brian. Well, we sure appreciate you taking your time to come on and be with us tonight. And, um, man, I cannot wait to see where you go with everything, and I, I can't wait to talk soon, and I'll definitely be in touch with you. Yeah, likewise. You have a good day. Uh, Good evening, guys. Appreciate it. Take care, Brian. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. All right. See you, Brian. Yep. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, everybody. That was Brian Keith with BK Outdoors, creator of the GOAT system and the Jawbone Bowhanger. And let me tell you something. I am excited even more to get out and use it after talking Absolutely. to him on I the phone. I can't wait to see the pictures this fall with the stuff you got hanging off that thing. <laughs> I'm going to have goodies. <laughs> oh, that might go into – well, I keep saying I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a, probably a snack bag hanging off of it behind my bow. He needs, and, some, he needs some of them little alligator clips hanging so you can put your little debbies in. He's what, got – they're on there. All are I got to do is hook up this yeah, little alligator clip. They're already on you there. You can order one for a I may have to get me one. He needs elastic uh, – 
Can you hook your phone on that thing and pull it out and check it? And <laughs> like, it, yeah, you, go yeah, back? you could. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you could hook anything you want on there. I mean, and that's the that's the good idea behind what he's doing with it. Mm-hmm. There's multiple uses. And just like we said about hanging a set, we're going to definitely make a video of that. I want to incorporate that in because I know as well as anybody, when you climb a tree and you're standing there, you're trying to hang straps and hold up on that stand. Wouldn't it be nice to have something, a third hand, to hold it while you're putting your strap around the tree and getting everything set up? That's so that's so neat to me. And I'd never thought about it when he first told me. He said, just tie a piece of paracord on your stand. You pull it up, you hook it on there, and your, your hand's free. Mm-hmm. You can get around the tree safely. You can get around it more efficiently, and you can do it quieter. Because I know hanging a lock on, <laughs> I beat myself to death with that thing trying to get it on there. I'm not as big a boy as y'all are, so I kind of got to no, hold I, and press against the tree and everything. Else, I don't like so. hanging there like that, honestly. So it anything that can help ease that and free up a hand. Make you safer. Yeah, you just throw that strap around there, and then you get to tighten it. Then you can push it against the tree while you've already got your strap tight. So Take your bag off. You can hang it up behind yep. you. Get your stand hung. I mean, there's a lot of different concepts in it, and, and I can't wait to put something together for Absolutely. him because I honestly feel like we can, and we can showcase that product for what it is. He's a hunter. He's creating products for hunters. We're consumers, and we're hunters, and we're just lucky enough to be able to talk to him on the phone. Great guy, great idea of hunting, and I'm sure he's going to come out with some amazing stuff. And, hey, I can't wait to follow him along on social media and see what he kills this fall because he sounds like he's a hammer on some deer too. BK Outdoors Product, outdoorsproducts.com. BK Outdoorsproducts.com. You can find him on Instagram at – Find him on uh, Facebook. That's where I found him. BK, out was on the saddle. It's BK Outdoors. BK Outdoors LLC. Mm-hmm. On Instagram. <clears throat> on Instagram. And he's also on Facebook. Correct. So anybody wants to check it out, we'll definitely have those tags in on the post. Check him out. And uh, if you got any questions for it, hey, shoot him a message. I promise he'll answer it. And if we can answer any questions that you might have on it. Once again, I'd like to thank everybody that came out to the bow shoot this weekend. It was a great time. Thanks for hosting, Nick. You know, it was great food, great fun, great atmosphere. Of course, had 11 targets on it, and it was a great shoot by everyone. And, of course, we shot the 54-yard at the end. And I I guess that goes back to what I'd like to do more of, you know, that that camaraderie and getting people Mm -hmm. together with that. And it seemed like people were wearing their gear. You know, they had their shirts on. The Pine Thicket boys came. Eric Richards came from the reason. And, you know, we're bringing guys that are into, you know, the same – kind of concepts that we are together and we can talk about what we're doing you know yeah we talked and we didn't want to advertise that big even though i almost opened my big mouth but you know we want to see how it went the first time yeah we needed to test the grounds on it and and and, you know make it a smaller concept and hopefully next year we get into a a bigger avenue maybe set up 20 25 targets and make it a longer course and Mm -hmm. make it you know where anybody can come and shoot it from the morning on. We'll probably start in the morning instead of 2 o'clock in the afternoon in <laughs> yeah, July. That, yeah. was a, that was a great decision yeah. you and I had. But time is of the essence right now. We're pushing deer season out, what, seven weeks, eight yeah, weeks yeah, out, yeah, no. 71, 72 days, something like that from deer season. As we sit right September here. September 11th? 10th. 10th. 10th this year. Yep, yep, opens on the 10th. And Did uh, you see, I don't know, if I, I don't, don't hold me to this, but Cherokee County – Georgia has went to the end of July. For I mean January. Uh uh-uh. uh. Oh really? Deer season stays open to the end of January. Is it south of ninety two or north of ninety two? I think too? it's all of Cherokee County. Wow. Wow. I, I haven't saw that. Now I don't know if it's just bow only. I'm sure it is because it's extended archery is what maybe, that's but considered. We need, check, we need to check that out. Yeah, check those regulations. Mm-hmm. Find out on that. And they one. did go ahead and pass the. I know you don't want to hear it. They already passed the two, the two turkeys. Move season back to 
April, second week in April. And then I think 10 days after opening day before you can step on public ground maybe or WMAs. Wow. Mm-hmm. Get those get get those laws out and and let's make sure that we bring that up on the next episode yeah. for in in full what the HB 10 you know the house bills yeah. whatever yeah. they are that passed because I would love to share that information as much as we talked about that and got everyone's opinion on it. <laughs> oh boy, I tell you what, we got a guest coming back on here. It's gonna be fired <laughs> up about that one. Yeah, not happy about that. I cannot wait to hear him talk about that, but. For everybody here at Talk About It Outdoors, we want to thank you for being with us. Hey, come back anytime. And don't forget, we got, oh, shoot, I nearly forgot it. I was going to run into the end of it here. So uh, let me let me kick it off, and uh, we're going to go into our Shooting You Straight episode. This week's Shooting You Straight segment is brought to you by Williamson Brothers Barbecue of Canton. Stop in off exit 16A of Highway 575 or call 770-345-9067 for all of your barbecue and catering needs. All right, Waddy, what you got for us? So today's question is brought to us by Hunter King of HK Baits, and that's like baits you fish fish with. That's his Instagram handle. And um, he wanted to know, what do you do if you have a big deer on your property but can't get him to come in. And what he means by that is, you know, seeing a big deer during during the summer running with bachelor groups or whatever and seeing it in fields and so forth. But when it comes time to deer season, he just can't get it commit to his actual property. So what do you think, Nick, Deer Slayer? Oh, man, that's a um, that's a tough one. That was, I think, you know, I think you could probably go all the way back to Jason Lewis's episode on this one. Um, yeah. And, and and like Alex said before, you know, we're just giving you our opinion, but I think you could go back to Jason's episode and try to find that bedding area if it's on your property. I think I would try to find that bedding area without putting too much sin in there, maybe early season, and maybe try to get some cameras around that and uh, try to stay out of there as much as possible. And maybe maybe just go for the cell cameras right now. I mean, the cell cameras, you can pick them up cheap, you know, around 100 bucks. You get a $5 plan. Maybe you could stake them out around that bedding area and try to get in on that deer, and that, that would be my best advice, but – I think Jason pretty much all said that in that episode. Pretty much yeah. said get locked in on that bedding area. Yeah, and I'm going to go back to episode uh, with Don Higgins. No pressure. Stay out of there. You're yeah. not seeing the deer there in deer season because you're pressure in that area. You're but over if, if you don't, it. if you don't have a bedding area, <laughs> Alex, was you done? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can't ever cut me off. <laughs> If you don't have that bedding area on your property, I don't know if you're doing any good at all, though. No, if deer aren't living there, Mm -hmm. they're summering there, and then they're moving off your property. I have that problem at my property. (laughs) And and it it goes back to uh, um, talking about habitat as well. That it might not be the right habitat during the during the fall and, right. and uh, the winter season, so they they may be moving off that property. It might not be as much native grasses for bedding and so forth. They might have may not have the right food source. So it it's so many variables. Just just like Brian said though, those those bucks may be living in that area when it's not rut. They may be going to that area when those does because he knows those does are over there. So maybe try what Brian said. Maybe create start, a bedding area. Create a bedding area. Start putting you some sand out and see what happens. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's a good point that you made. But 
you got to watch your scent. You got to watch your wind. If you're going into an area and you're hunting that same stand every single time, no matter what the wind is, you're going to blow a deer out of there and you're going to drive them out. And once they're gone, they're not coming back until summertime when they feel comfortable. And I run into that. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> got choked up there. Um, I run into that at the house and it, and it is a bedding issue. hundred percent. There's mm-hmm. there. I've heard that concept brought up and there's thick areas, but they're not bedding on my property. They're coming there at night and I'm sure Hunter's getting a lot of, uh, pictures at night on his bait or on his food plots. And if he's mm-hmm. getting them during the daytime, they're traveling there because they feel comfortable during that time frame. So mm-hmm. look to create a bedding area, look to not pressure it. And if you're not, if you don't have a bedding area on your property, look to create one. So I hope we answer your question there, Hunter, a yeah, little bit. Yeah, best we can. I got one more short one. It's from Matt Jennings with the game. He wants to know, when is uh, Nick going to get a real bow? Mm. <laughs> it's going to be like that, huh, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> going to jab him like that? I'll tell you what, next shirt order we get, get his address, and I'll send him a shirt down there that fits over his, over his arms. <laughs> I believe he's got Alex's shirt on. <laughs> oh God! The so, so when Matt, when you start wearing shirts that fit, Nick, so yeah, I'll, Nick get, I'll get me a different bow. <laughs> I just throw in a jab, oh, buddy. Oh God, I love it. I love it. So yeah, that's that's great. When y'all continue to keep the questions coming in, because that's going to be a segment that I almost forgot tonight, and I apologize for that because that's something we want to have every episode. But <laughs> oh me, well as as Cody said, coming in the. This was brought to you by Williamson Brothers Barbecue in Canton. Y'all go down there and see Reyes. He's a good friend of ours. So, Absolutely. anything else before I cut this it. thing off? That's it. Matt's going to drive up here, ain't he? No, he probably won't even listen to it. I'm going to make sure he does. I'm going to cut that clip out and send it to him and be like, here we go. Oh, for everybody here at Talk About It Outdoors, thanks for being with us tonight. We appreciate it. Come back on the next one and uh, pull up a chair and set a while. And remember, smile as you go and don't forget, mount the memories. <laughs>